Well, I'm happy to um, introduce to you our speaker again today. Uh, back uh, on Monday, we had Joe Saxton with us, and we have her back today with us today, which we're excited about. Joe Saxton is a speaker. She's a podcaster. She's an author. She's a leadership coach. Uh, Joe was born to Nigerian parents and raised in London. Uh, who now she now lives in, in the Minneapolis area with her husband and daughters. Um, I just want to make a plug. If you, if you want to hear more from Joe, I encourage you to check out the podcast she co-hosts with Pastor Stephanie Williams O'Brien called Lead Stories. That's where they tell tales of leadership and life with the aim to encourage, equip, and empower. And I've, I've listened in, and it's, it's such a great conversation they're hosting. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that as well. But would you uh, join me in welcoming again to the stage here at Northwestern, uh, Joe Saxton. Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? You doing all right? Good, good. I'm just getting dressed, it feels like. So if you just, okay, I'm there. Or as there as I'm ever going to be. For those I haven't met before, my name is Jo. I'm a Londoner, Nigerian. I've lived in the cities for a while now. I can't remember how long it is. Um, Married to a guy called Chris. As I was telling you on Monday, he's younger than I am. He's a little less younger than I am because it was his birthday yesterday. So I feel a bit less of a cougar, and that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, and um, I have two teenage girls, and that's all we need to know for now. Oh, I went to Target yesterday. I was looking for you all. Um, then I realized I was just staring at strangers, and it was getting a bit weird for people, and it was time to stop. So um, anyway, that happened. I am looking at Matthew chapter 16, and for those of you who weren't here on Monday, a brief recap, and it will be brief. Um, It's a time when Jesus pulls his disciples away to a place called Caesarea Philippi, a place which is known for all that's wrong in society. And he asks them a couple of questions, and it's a moment of a reset. And we're looking at how um, in times of turbulence and even in the face of the gates of hell, God can reset your identity and also what we're going to look at today, reset your purpose. So I'm going to read the whole thing again because it wasn't long, and then we'll just, we'll dive in until it's time for you all to go. Yes, yay. Well, I'm excited. You don't have to be. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we notice that when Jesus says, who do you say I am, he's not, he's not confused, and that each of us needs to know who we think Jesus is. because it defines how we live our life. I talked on Monday a bit about the identity exchange. When he gives Peter a new name, he's restoring a sense of identity and that the things that have named us don't have to define us. The things that have shaped our lives, the things that even the words that people have said that have defined us and that we're still reacting to, the experiences, that there's a covenant that we have with the Lord where he takes that stuff on and we can learn to live into freedom. When we look at Peter's life, we know he didn't get it right straight away. Um, that he was kind of stable as water for a while in his understanding that when people asked if he knew Jesus, he's like, never heard of him, don't know who he is. 
Um, and, and it took him a while to step into that. But he, in time, he began, and after a couple of failures, he lived into who God had always known he was. And so what we're going to look at today is the second half of that, of that passage. So, and I'll read, I think it's verse 18, but I can't remember now. Yeah, I'll read verse 18 to you. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we got the new name bit out of the way. But then Jesus gives him a set of keys. And again, it seems like a bit of an odd um, response. Like, who do you say I am? I see that you're amazing. I see that you're Messiah. I'm going to give you a new name and I'm going to tell you about some keys. Doesn't seem like it covers everything or meets the moment. And yet, when we think about it in the Bible, keys are always a symbol of authority. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples then, but also disciples since, is that they have the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And when we think of kingdom, we need to remember that it's not a geographical place. The kingdom of God is not a country. The kingdom of God is not a country. The word in the Greek is basileia. I know a number of you who study Greek know that, and it um, is often refers to the kingship of God, what it's like when God is ruling in a place. The rule of God in a place or a situation. So what does the kingdom of heaven look like? What it looks like, what happens when the king of kings is on the move. So when you look at the gospels again and again, we see forgiveness is part of what the kingdom of heaven at work is like. Mercy, healing, restoration, deliverance from evil, a message of good news, new values. When the king was moving, the untouchables were touched. The outcasts in society were given a place. The people that it was acceptable to hate I know we don't say hate, we say struggle. Um, the people it was acceptable to hate were radically loved and people who were far from God and felt that they had to earn their way into his approval discovered that they were radically loved. And so Peter has not just been given a new name, a new identity, but he's been given a new purpose. And it's not just Peter, because when you look at the book of Acts, you see everyday men and women Everyday men and women who have jobs. You know, Stephen, who we often know as the first martyr, was a waiter. He was waiting on tables, and his life was defined by his relationship with Christ. We see Peter finally get his act together and preach, and thousands come to faith. We see Lydia, a businesswoman whose world is redefined as she encounters the gospel. We see Paul, who's, who's well, has significant anger management issues, let's put it nicely here, has, has issues but has so driven in his legalism about what he thinks God is that he's prepared to kill for it, which suggests it's a bit out of hand, meets with the Lord and his world is entirely transformed. For some people in the New Testament, they leave their careers and they are defined by these keys of the kingdom of heaven. They are sharing a message of good news. The sick are being healed. People are being transformed. Others, it's happening in the midst of their everyday life. After all, Luke, who writes, Acts was a doctor. You see, we are, humanity's always had a twofold purpose, to know God intimately, but also to represent him in the world. To be walking, talking overflows of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible doesn't say that you're supposed to be salt and that you're supposed to be light. It says you are. You are salt. You are light. So what flavor are you bringing? And can anyone get a greater glimpse of Jesus when you're in the room? Do you illuminate something about the character of God, about the goodness of God, about the greatness of God? I wonder, I was going to call you friends. I'm going to call you friends. I'm just going to assume it. We don't have to see each other again. We understand. I wonder, friends, if you've got your keys. 
You may know his name. I hope you know his name. I hope you know who Jesus is. You may know he transforms your identity, or maybe you're working through that. But have you also recognized that he has a purpose for your life? I didn't say a blueprint. I said a purpose for your life. Do you know that you're about more than being a nice person, even Minnesota nice person? But that God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Have you got your keys? I'm, I like keys, but I must confess, mine sometimes go walking. They, they end up in a different purse. They end up, well, they end up in the same place they always end up, but I don't know that at the time. I lose sight of my keys. I get stressed. I make everybody in the family look for it. I tell them that they shouldn't have taken the car again without my permission. Nobody did that. It's me. I've lost my keys. I lose my way. But sometimes I think we do that with our purpose. We lose our sense of understanding what we're here for. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, the message translation, it says this. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before you got your hopes up, he had his eye on you, had designs on you for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. It's in your relationship with the Lord you find out who you are, whose you are, like we referred to on Monday, but also what you're living for. So what I want to simply ask you to reflect on is, do you know where your keys are? Have you got your keys? In, one of the, in a house I used to live in, um, the way I'd leave the house was I'd look in the mirror. When I knew where my keys were, I'd pick up the keys and leave. And sometimes I think we can get a bit preoccupied. There'd be days where I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, Joe, you're fantastic. Fearfully and wonderfully made. This is glorious. Don't know how you did it, but we're thankful. Glory to God. Then I'd pick up my keys and go. There are other days I look and think, oh God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, thank God, and then just go. <laughs> and then other times you get a little bit preoccupied, and I think sometimes, although it's, it's incredibly important, we can get preoccupied with working out just us and God and forgetting there's a whole world outside. Or we get preoccupied with what God's saying to us or our gifts, and we're like, oh, do my gifts look big in this? I'm not really sure. And we forget to pick up our keys and remember there's a journey. But here's the reality of the world in which you're in. Every generation of believers has to work out how they will respond to the challenges and the opportunities on their day. There are things happening in the world on our watch. What will be our response? What will be our response to what we scroll through on the news or the, that TikTok thing that you love? And I still don't understand. <laughs> what will be your response to the things that get you annoyed because it's just not right? What will be your response to the things that offend you because you're like, God, people should be treated better than that? Could God do anything with our lives? The great thing about the Bible is that it's not ageist. It's wonderful. And so you see God calling people in every stage of their lives, inviting them to be part of what he's doing in the world. Have you picked up your keys ready to be part of what he's doing in the world? Are you walking in the authority God has already given you to represent him? There are three places I want us to consider that I'm going to let you get on your way. First of all, what does it look like to pick up your keys on campus? To be walking, talking overflows of the kingdom of heaven here on campus. Well, I know we all sing the same songs and everything, which is fabulous. I know we come to chapel or have to come to chapel. I don't know your deal, but you know the deal. But does the, the God you believe in affect how you treat each other? Does it impact how you listen to one another? Does it impact how you love one another? 
For those of you who are athletes, how you, well, for all of us, but how you compete with one another. One of my friends, um, who I knew back in the day, um, sorry, I'm remembering the sport. I call it football, you call it soccer, football, anyway, you know the thing. He, he was playing, he said, you know the measure of a man on, when you're, on how he plays on the pitch and when someone kicks him and what comes out of his mouth. And he said, if I'm saying something about somebody's mother, I've clearly not had a good day. I want to ask you how knowing Jesus impacts how you represent him to one another. Do people see the love of God through you? Do people know forgiveness because of the way you act? How you treat the opposite sex? Should I let that one hang longer? Okay. How you treat the opposite sex? Will we leave each other with scars that take us years to get over? Sorry, I'm really blunt. I should have warned you. Will, will, I, will we leave, leave each other with scars that take years to get over? Or will we treat each other with dignity? Will we objectify one another? It's okay, you won't have to see me again. Ignore me when you see me in Target. But we've got to ask. You know, it's funny, isn't it? it when Jesus prayed and everything, it wasn't by the songs we sang that people would know we were believers. It wasn't by the buildings or the budgets or the Christian colleges we went to. It was our love people would be able to tell. And that's not just our emotions or our sentiments or whether we have the right theology and whether we're sound. But how we loved one another. And you've lived long enough to know that loving is hard and that loving is sacrificial. That loving costs. And I'm not talking about loving the people you already like or are attracted to. That's easy. That's just hormones at work. And rock on, go with God, ring by spring, the whole thing, whatever you need, <laughs> whatever you need. I'm saying the people who you find it hard to love. Can you be a walking, talking overflow of the kingdom of heaven there? Or are we still pretending that we do all right on that stuff? I'm just asking the question. But back to the opposite sex for a second, and I promise I will leave this topic alone in a moment, but just not yet. And maybe it's because I'm older and old, and forgive me for the mother vibes that come out as I talk at this moment. I just can't help it. I've tried to stop it, but it's like, everywhere. Just, I just want to hug everybody. Anyway. But I will say this. I, will, I, will, I, will, I want to ask you, are you honest enough with each other when Mr. Right is actually Mr. Right now? When Miss Right is Miss Right now? When we get over-emotionally involved with people? But we have no intention of committing to them. They're just a good backup, Betty backup, Brian backup plan. Sorry, am I too blunt? But honestly, I have known more people walk away from the faith on that alone, which is why I'm laboring the point. Most of my friends, I'm, how old am I? 48, right, um, nearly 49, nearly 50. So, yeah, just, I've given up on days of the week since pandemic. Um, it's just, I, I'm just not interested. They were just all so long. But I have friends who are still not back, who we all knew each other, we went to college together, who are still not back with the Lord. And it was because of how their hearts were broken. And how they were, now did they, I'm not saying they were victims and they weren't involved, but you see what I'm saying? How do you treat one another on campus? Forgiveness there? Mercy there? Love there? Or do we just preach at each other? Talk theology at each other? and forget to live the life amongst one another. I want to invite you, friends, 
If this Jesus is real, and if he isn't, we're really wasting time right now. If this Jesus is real, and if Jesus transforms you and who you are, that matters in this stuff. It counts with the gossip and all that stuff. It's not just kind of like pie in the sky when you die. It's steak on a plate while you wait. It's actually here and now. I'll move on. Have you picked up your keys on campus? Have you picked up your keys in the context of your local community? There is a whole world happening outside these walls, outside this campus, and I know your priorities are your studies and all that kind of stuff. I, I get that. But I have to ask you, for the years that you're here, I don't know how long degrees last, forgive me, three, four years, whatever it is. What impact will you have left behind? And that might be as a consumer, you know, that might be the kind of customer you are when you go into a store. Do you give a glimpse of Jesus there? Some of the most random conversations I've had, uh, um, I've, of faith I've had with people have just been in a line waiting for something. Are you available? Are you available for God to use you in everyday, ordinary, really dull, no one's going to get the credit kind of ways? What's the impact you're having in your community? You may be here four years. What are those four years going to look like on your watch? Maybe it's at your local church. Maybe it's in others. Maybe it's just as a contributor to the community in some way. Have you, you've got ideas and dreams and visions about how the world should be changed. And you're right, it should be changed. So many things suck right now. Will you pick up your keys? Because when Jesus spoke to Peter and said, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and the gates of hell won't overcome it, it wasn't just posturing. It was a call to live a radically different life to the one, the guy who smelt of fish was living up until that point. It was an invitation to be part of the renewal of all things. I wonder whether you've heard the invitation to be part of the renewal of all things in your community. And we may not be here forever, but just in the time you have, will people get a glimpse of God through you, through the way you spend your time, through the people you interact with? And it will look different for all of us. I don't think there's a uniform way. I just invite you to ask the Lord, is there anything you'd have me do? And he might say, read your books and study. That's fine. But at least you know. At least you know. Just ask the question. And then finally, finally, when I think about us picking up our keys, yes, we start with the campus and how we all treat one another. Yes, we think of our community. But I want to invite you to think of the arc of your entire life. If you get the gift of a long life, and, and for the, I hope you do, I hope you do. If you get the gift of a long life, what, what would you like it to look like? After the ring, after spring. Also, spring doesn't really happen here. It's just melting, but anyway. <laughs> after the ring, after spring, after that wonderful degree and the job you've got and all of these things, how could God infuse that with his presence and his purpose? You see, when I think of our heroes of faith, most of them did have jobs. Daniel, Daniel worked for four very, very dysfunctional bosses. Terrible people. Real issues that they refused to deal with. All kinds of pressures. And yet his faith redefined and reshaped the culture in the context of his work. Many of us will go into everyday jobs. And yes, that is your calling and that is your ministry. Are you thinking about how God might want to use you in it? the kind of neighbor will be, the kind of leaders will be. Don't hope about it, decide. Decide that you're gonna invite God to define your careers. 
the past few years have told us we have no control <laughs> over so many things. We can't even control whether we go out to the shops. But what you can decide is that you're going to invite God with, um, to, to lead you in it and through it. What you can decide is that your life is his. What you can decide is that day by day, you invite him to say, okay, you know who I am. Redefine my life. And I'm available wherever you have me. Whether it's a conversation in Target, whether it's a community that I'm involved in, whether it's a career that I have, you define my life. I want to invite you, friends. The future is way too important to be left a chance. What are you living for? Because the degree will be done. I promise you it will be done. The degree will be done. <laughs> These days will be done. And you have a wonderful life ahead of you. Now let's make it count for the kingdom of God. Let's be walking, talking overflows of the kingdom of heaven in education, in healthcare, in sport, in business, in our neighborhoods, yes, in our marriages, in our parenting. Let's be walking, talking overflows of the kingdom of God where forgiveness is how we roll, where mercy, where we love the untouchable and we, we make the outcast radically loved so that when people look at our lives, when people look at everyone, they might be like, I don't get your Jesus thing but I see it at work. I don't understand how you do it, but I see it at work. I don't know if I even agree with it all, but I can't deny that God is shaping your life. That's what I believe these words invite us into. That's what I see happen in the life of the, of, of the disciples and the disciples as they go into Acts, but I believe it's a call for each of us now. So what I'm going to do, actually, we've got some time, and I'm, and, but I'm going to let you go early, because why not? Um, we've got some time, and in this time, <laughs> you're very welcome. Um, um, I, I'm just going to give us a moment quiet. It's going to feel like three years. It's probably going to be 15 seconds. And in that time, I want you to ask yourself three questions. What does it look like for me to represent God on campus, to, to look like Jesus on campus, to behave like him on campus? Is it relationships? Is there someone I need to ask to forgive me? Do I need, am I wrong on some things? I'm going to ask you to think through what does it look like in your community and what does it look like for your career and your life? Father God, I want to thank you um, for the gorgeous people in this room. And I simply pray this, that they would know you more deeply, know the fullness of who you are, know how you transform their identities. But I pray you'd show them what it means to represent you and to walk in your authority and, and look like you and live for you on campus. If there are relationships that need resolving, you'd give them the courage to deal. Lord, I pray you'd guide them to how they impact their communities in small everyday ways or bigger ways, whatever. And Lord, for the arc of their lives and careers, Lord, I pray blessing on their lives and careers. But that most of all, that they would know you walking with them every step of the way. And Lord, as you call us to be people who would make a difference and you say, whom shall I send? My prayer is that each one of these would be willing to say, here am I, send me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.